Hey, before we get started with the show today, I wanted to let you know that we are hiring. This is Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and we are looking for a digital equity coordinator or possibly an organizer if you have more experience. And we have that job posting available in a bunch of places, including ILSR.org, where you can find it under About ILSR, and there's a little thing there that says Jobs and Internships. So I hope you will check it out if you have any interest, or if you know people who are great and want to do great work, helping us to do local education type work uh, to get uh, high quality internet access out to everyone. It would be wonderful if you shared that around uh, that job description. Thank you so much and I hope you enjoy the show today. The whole reason we exist is to drive competition in the market and to help make sure that our residents are getting the best value and just by us existing makes that happen and that is huge for me welcome to another episode of the community broadband bits podcast i'm christopher mitchell at the institute for local self-reliance in saint paul minnesota today i'm speaking with brianna reed harmel the municipal fiber manager at the city of loveland where they have a wonderful fiber network called pulse welcome to the show brianna thank you so much for having me I suspect we talked before the pandemic or maybe early on in it. It's been a few years. It has. It was, I think, early on in the pandemic. It was the last time we spoke. And then I saw you at Mountain Connect, but I brought my wired mic with my wired mics without their wires and uh, they didn't work so well. So we're doing this over Zoom now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's okay. Uh, so tell us for people who aren't as familiar, Loveland, uh, it is uh, there on the front range, uh, beautiful city uh, north of Denver. Um, what else should people know about it? Yeah, so we're uh, north of Denver. Uh, we're called um, you know, the Northern Front Range, NOCO, uh, is what we like lovingly refer to it here as natives. Um, so we're a town of about 80,000, 90,000 people. We're called the Sweetheart City. Um, there's a lot um, about Loveland that's not related to fiber, but that's not why we're here today. Um, so back in 2018, if anybody remembers, uh, we started our um, fiber to the home build uh, a project here uh, as a municipal owned broadband network. And you know, we're just wrapping up construction right now after, you know, going through three and a half years of construction and, you know, build out and all the trials and tribulations that we had of launching services during the middle of the pandemic. Um, it's been um, very interesting last couple of years. And for people who are not super familiar at 80 to 90,000, that makes you similar in size to Longmont, um, which means you're one of the larger municipal fiber networks in the nation. I mean, that gives you like, I'm going to guess in the order of like 30 or 40,000 customers maximum. Yeah. So we have about um, just shy of 40,000 electric meters right now, which is how we uh, are measuring the number of premises we have in the city limits. Um, but as you know, we're probably going to talk about a little bit here, we're starting to move into some of the fringe areas just outside of the city boundaries proper, uh, because there's, they're part of our community too, and they're being left behind um, as part of this digital divide. When you say 40,000 meters, I'm curious, for how much longer will that be a good proxy? Because so many people putting in that extra meter for the car, for the charging and that sort of a thing, I'm, I'm wondering if that will not be a good proxy soon. You know, I think it's still a, a good rule of thumb to see where we are. I mean, there's uh, some variability between electric and communication. So we might put in 
um, a couple of service drops in a house that only has one meter because they're renting out their basement Mm. uh, or they put an accessory dwelling unit or something like that where we might actually provide a secondary fiber service drop, um, but electric might not put in a meter and vice versa. So I think that it's not going to be a perfect match. And um, that's actually something that we've learned through the way is that using the number of electric meters is a good estimate, but it's not going to be a one for one match. And uh, we've actually had to be uh, pretty creative in uh, having a second set of database uh, for the number of premises and our address count is going to be different than what we have on the electric side. And that's been an interesting process going through with our GIS team. It's like, okay, we have a whole nother set of addresses that need to be maintained um, for you know this new utility. Somewhere there's someone uh, that is banging their head on a desk. <laughs> Routinely, addressing is terrible. And, you know, one of the things that we've found, um, you know, as we've gone through, because we're a new utility, right? We have new, you know, latest and greatest, but we're inheriting all of this bad data from the electric side and the water side and like random addresses that we have for other city purposes, like addresses for trash cans or park benches where we have infrastructure there, but they're real addresses. And uh, how do you manage, you know, to have clean data for the broadband purposes so we can have online search tools and online sign up um, and not have bad data in there. And that's been a very interesting thing that we've been working on the last couple of years. So you're at the place in your build where you're almost done, where I feel like you're if you're in a marathon, people are saying you're almost there and and you're kind of you're probably saying, I don't want to hear that. I just want to be done. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) You know, it's funny because we're just about to finish the big build. Uh, as we call it lovingly here in Loveland, which is um, past every home and business inside of city limits. But the reality is that construction isn't really going to be done. We're a growing community. Um, So we had really high growth through the pandemic. Um, A lot of additional scope that was added to our project that we weren't really prepared to. We planned for some growth, but not the level that we saw. And then um, as we start to partner with some of our, you know, our, our, our county and some of our neighbor communities, we're really not going to be done with construction anytime soon. It's just changing. And so we're moving into now we're operating and constructing, not just constructing. So it's a new phase, new world. That can be really hard on budgets because you're not, you know, at a, at on the order of, I'm going to guess $1,500, $2,000 of expenditure per home connected. You suddenly have a bunch more homes to build to. Uh, I've always seen other cities have to go out and, and get more funding than what they are than they are initially approved. Uh, have you, did you have enough room in, in, in your like uh, cap space basically of what you were borrowing to do that? To some extent. So when we, we actually went through a process uh, last uh, spring and summer where we had to borrow additional money um, and it was kind of twofold. We had uh, not just uh, the expansion of our community through the last three years as we were building and the city was continuing to grow but we also had unprecedented inflation that was affecting the material that we were buying. So we were insulated from that for a little while because we had we we had bought so much material at first and we were staying, you know, six months ahead of that. But it eventually started to hit um, our bottom line and we had massive increases, especially on anything that was petroleum related. So all of our conduit in the ground, our, our polycrete vaults and those types of things, they started to really increase in and price. And then um, obviously there was also really significant demand. Everybody's building right now and, uh, you know, trying to even get a hold of that material and trying to make good decisions around, you know, where do you get, you know, who do you buy from and, you know, and having enough vendors. So we did have to go back to, um, to our board and ask for some additional money. We asked for additional $15 million loan from um, the power side of our operations. 
Um, we asked for what we needed plus a little bit extra just to make sure that we were going to accommodate the growth for the next couple of years that we were seeing. Uh, we weren't sure if with the economy, because we were, you know, in 2022, we were all starting to see, are we going to have a recession? Are we not? We're not really sure where we are. We know we have high inflation. So we know those prices are going to continue to rise. We don't know how for how long. We don't know if the development community is going to slow housing because they can't get windows or electric panels or, you know, all these different things that were really affecting the building side. So we made sure that we had a little bit of a buffer in there to last us the next couple of years for, uh, for that growth period. And we have started to see development slow down a little bit in 2023 from where we saw it last year in 2022. So that's been helpful for um, for managing those construction budgets. Yeah, I feel like there's uh, never an opportunity to not have problems. So it comes under the heading of the problems you want to have versus the problems you don't want to have. And maybe you are mostly in the, in the side of problems you want to have. <laughs> Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a bad problem to have more customers uh, that you can, you know, sell to. I mean, that's at the that that's a good problem, right? Because you have more revenue, you're expending more capital funds, but you're also um, having you're acquiring more customers at the same time. And what we see with new development is that one, it's less expensive to build because we're able to take advantage of that open trench. So we're saving money by putting infrastructure in. And if we didn't take advantage of that during the initial build, we'd have to come back and disrupt people like we're doing for the rest of the city. We really didn't want to have that happen. And the other is that when you we have a new, new house that goes in, we're not competing for somebody to change contracts. Typically, they're moving into that building. They have no um, contracts on that house uh, for their uh, internet. And so we are at a more level playing field. But we're not trying to win somebody over and getting them over that hump of trying to switch services. So has it all been worth it? Uh, what's uh, Now you've had several years of offering services. Uh, was this a crazy gamble that, that some um, fly-by-night consultant talked you into and then skipped town before you could be held accountable? <laughs> oh my gosh, no. I, you know, I, I think back about that because I, I was the project manager through um, our whole feasibility study. And you know, I was like, oh my gosh, what, what are we doing here? This is crazy. And it was really turbulent, but we got through it. And then we started construction and then the pandemic. And I mean, it's just been... It's been so exciting. I personally have had never had so much fun in my life. Um, it has been challenging every day, but it's a good challenge to have. And what we hear from our community, from our businesses, is just the the level of thankfulness that we went through. And uh, you know, at least had started construction, we were able to help our school district during the pandemic, bringing on you know, pop-up locations and work with them to extend into some of the rural areas where there was literally no communication um, for these students. And they're like driving into town down out of the mountains to be able to, you know, connect during the, the height of COVID. You know, we were able to start the ACP program immediately. We were ready to go with that. And that has been massively um, successful within our community. We actually add uh, additional funds uh, to, to match that ACP to bring it back up closer to that $50 mark where it was when it was the EBB program um, to really give back to our community. Sorry, the utility does that? So the, the federal government puts in $30 and then who puts in the uh, additional? Pulse does. Um, so we take that and we add it onto the package. So we're offering our base package, which is a $45 package for free. So, but you can take that $45 and apply it to any of our other packages. So like our gig package um, is then only $30 a month. 
which is a great deal. And we actually have most of our ACP um, customers take one of the higher level packages, not just that base 100 meg by 100 meg package, because they can apply that ACP fund across all of the different packages um, and get the most value. And especially, you know, when you think about the type of people that need that program, they oftentimes have multiple children in the house. They might be working from home or doing those other things, and they're going to be uh, relying on that internet in a way that you don't have um, if you're just, you know, a, a single person maybe or something like that. So are you seeing a lot of people take the uh, the higher tier packages then uh, for just across the board? Yeah, we do. Um, our gig package is by far our most popular. We, we wanted to make sure that we offered um, a variety of different packages that um, meet the different needs of our customers, but that is definitely the premier package. Uh, actually, this spring, we just uh, announced uh, what we call our adaptive Wi-Fi program, where we are uh, supplying managed Wi-Fi. We had Wi-Fi, we have Wi-Fi included in our regular packages, but it's just very basic. This is um, a enhanced Wi-Fi has parental controls and IoT protection and all these other things, plus a speed boost, because we really wanted to show the benefits of a fiber optic network and show you know where you can really go with that. So we launched um, two gig packages for that with our one gig boost, and then uh, also have three gigs and 10 gigs as well. So the whole network has been upgraded to a 10 gig uh, network. It's pretty exciting. And we've had really um, high interest in that because it's really something that no one else in our community can do. And are you using uh, XGS Pond for that then? We are XGS Pond across the board. That's exciting. And then I know uh, with some of the vendors, you can even go higher, although at this point, um, I can't find good consumer gear that I want to put my money into for a switch inside inside my home that's five gigabit or more. So uh, might be a little bit excessive. <laughs> we definitely don't have a ton of customers that come in at that three and 10 gig. Uh, we have a few and we have uh, a pretty sizable community here that are tech heavy customers. You know, we have um, a lot of you know, it's the, I think they call it um, the Silicon Flatirons or something here in Northern Colorado, where you just have a lot of technology businesses and things like that. People are working um, from home sometimes or in their offices, but, you know, having that capability. So there is definitely demand for that, but um, you're right. I mean, the fact is that we could offer 25 gig. We just, um, we haven't had a huge demand for that yet, uh, except for maybe on some of our enterprise customers. It's been more than 10 years, actually, since I think I was out there driving around uh, with uh, Vince Jordan back in the early days of Longmont and seeing all the other like little towns and areas. Uh, I was in a place where I was really hoping that the cities that built their own networks would then be reaching out to help, um, you know, expand beyond their boundaries. And uh, you were the first one that I really saw that's doing that in a significant way, it seems like with uh, Larimer County. Uh, so what's going on there? Yeah, you know, we're, we partner really closely with uh, our county. So Larimer County uh, includes uh, actually three of the four municipalities here that are doing broadband. So we have Estes Park, Fort Collins uh, Connection, and uh, Loveland Pulse. And so they, they're seeing this massive digital divide that's happening right at the edge of the city boundaries. And that's where most of the density of the, of the, the county is, is right outside of the city limits. So um, a couple of years ago, we started working with them on different ways that we could really, how do we move that boundary to encompass all of these different people um, that are really being left behind. And so when um, the county has been able to use some of their ARPA funding to help uh, expand our networks into that unincorporated 
locations. They're also helping partner with us um, to even go even farther out. And so some of these starting to be more rural areas into the mountains. One of the ways that we were able to partner with, there's a, a canyon just west of town that uh, is kind of the gateway up to Estes Park and Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, we we got a grant in conjunction with our, our school district, Thompson School District, to expand the network into those areas during the pandemic. And so we've been really leveraging those partnerships uh, to help move those move that boundary out as far as we can. So it's all about those relationships and um, you know not leaving somebody behind just because they're on the wrong side of an artificially drawn line for the city. Yeah, I remember uh, Drew Davis, uh, rest in peace, um, you know, really pioneering a lot of that work. There's a lot of good folks from the county who I think were doing the education work and trying to find those solutions that are now being made. So that's exciting. Um, and um, I just want to honor that work. We miss Drew. He was such a he was such a strong advocate, you know, with Everywhere is Somewhere campaign for Larimer County. Um, and uh, Mark Faffinger at the county has really taken that torch and tried to run with it um, to, to carry on that legacy from Drew. And it's been great. And he, they're, they're great partners. But yes, you're right. Drew Drew really kicked that off. And uh, we do miss him. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, as the state is preparing to make money available via bead, as well as who knows what else in the near future, are you looking to some of those programs or are you still doing, um, I don't know if the county still is using rescue plan dollars to work with you or what is the future of, uh, of trying to expand to serve more of those homes? We are absolutely going to apply for grants, um, any grants that make sense for us. Um, the One of the, the urban fringe, as the county likes to call it, uh, right outside of the city boundaries, are harder to apply for different grants. And so there's a little bit more of a hurdle that we have to go through to say they may look served, but they're not really served. I mean, the, the maps are not as accurate as we would like them to be, and they're still you know, providers that are showing that they can serve speeds that they can't in these mm -hmm. areas. So going through those iterations and working with the state to challenge those um, those map locations, uh, that's that's what we're really working on now. But yeah, the, the county is going to continue to partner with us um, to help with a variety of different funding mechanisms uh, to help us provide that matching fund that we need for those grant expansions. Excellent. And as we're getting ready to wrap up the conversation, I, I do want to ask one other time then, um, are there any other stories that come to mind in terms of... Um, you know, if you're having a hard day, what, what you reflect on over the past few years that made this all worthwhile? I'm a civil servant at the end of the day. You know, I, I love the fact that I am making my community better place to live and not just by providing services to the individual customers that we have converted, but just the entire community has changed and shifted. And so we have the other providers, the incumbents here that are actively marketing and they've dropped their prices and they've come to the table in ways that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And I think that that to me is very rewarding to see. It's it's frustrating operating a business to have them have changed their marketing. But at the other side, I put my other hat on. The whole reason we exist is to drive competition in the market and to help you know make sure that our consumers, our residents, are getting the best value and just by us existing makes that happen and that is huge for me we have better low-income programs we have you know better programs for our seniors and restricted incomes i mean it's just all the way across the board um it has changed the connectivity in our community in ways that i don't think that we would have we thought about when we were doing the feasibility study but really seeing it actually happen has been really rewarding 
has it been harder than you expected? I mean, you did, you mentioned being kind of intimidated and whatnot, and then you said it's been a lot of fun working through those challenges, but right now we're trying to get a sense of it. I mean, I, I don't know, uh, you know, there's some people who uh, like uh, Gigi Sohn with the American Association of Public Broadband has set the audacious goal of doubling the number of municipal broadband networks, which I think will be terrific if communities decide to do that. It's certainly their decision on an individual basis. Um, but I'm just curious if you can help share like kind of that going from that wide eyed looking at like, uh, you know, a massive multi tens of millions of dollar investment uh, versus now being close to wrapping up the uh, the initial plan? It is hard. And, you know, one of the things that, I mean, I, I come from the electric side, you know, I'm used to running operations, utilities, those types of things. That That's not the hard part. Um, it is the mind shift to some extent for us as a city. You talk about it during the feasibility study, you talk about it during the initial startup, but you really are running a business and you are competing. And we do have to do things differently as a as a competitive entity. So sometimes, you know, cities have a little bit of experience with that if they have golf courses or museums or things like that. But it's it really is a very cutthroat environment that you're working in. And you don't you shouldn't be afraid of it, but you need to be fully aware of what you're walking into, that you will really be competing and that marketing is a big deal. It's not just communicating, it's marketing. And it's it's all of those different things. And then making sure that you have a really solid business plan. I mean, we went through multiple iterations of our business plan. We had our original one for a feasibility study. We did a second one um, when we were getting ready to make a decision on whether or not we wanted to move forward with a public-private partnership or municipal run. And then we did it a third time to make sure that we had solid costs based on actual construction and pricing from, you know, our vendors for materials and all these different things. And I think that that's really where we put the due diligence in early on and we made sure that we had good plans. We had good project management. We had um, you know, people that were willing to be flexible and pivot as needed as we went through the process and just, you know, try to be kind of scrappy and make it work. Uh, to a large extent. So I think that you absolutely can do it. And I think that municipally run is a great way because you know your community, you know what they need, you can provide the services that they need versus just, you know, some big corporation trying to, you know, market at a regional level or maybe maybe bigger. Um, but it is a lot of work and it's not just, you know, if you build it, they will come. You have to work at it and you have to continuously invest in that network and that um, that can, why do I sign up for this service versus another service? And then I'm sure, I'm curious if, if uh, this comes close to home. I was just talking with a friend of the show who runs a ISP locally here. We had a ferocious storm and uh, the service blipped out temporarily during that wicked storm and uh and he got a one-star review and i'm just imagining as you you know a lot of folks in town like you know someone you went to elementary school with or something like that giving you a negative review on some hard day like that it can't be fun <laughs> you know it's funny um the first couple of google reviews that we got and they were all really good and we were like oh yay this is great and then we got our first bad one and it's like oh. <laughs> we we took it really hard but we also were like well okay why did that person have a bad review and so we made some changes and things like that and we reached out to them and you know um trying we you know it's it's one of those things you can do that when you're local because you know who that person probably is and you know try to fix that even if they don't come back to being your service maybe you know just making sure that you're repairing those relationships and they're not walking away with a bad feeling so I, there's a lot of benefit for being community owned. Yes. And I think also 
not becoming too obsessed if uh, the occasional person has a bad exam, has a bad time. Like if you have tens of thousands of customers, <laughs> you're going to have a few that, you know, it might not even be your fault. Yeah, oftentimes it's not. And it's like, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been uh, it's been great catching up. Thank you. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.